welcome back to Blended. I'm joined by another amazing panel of guests, and today we're talking about veterans. This is a discussion that I love to have every year on Blended around this time. Veterans Day provides a unique opportunity to reflect on the role that they have played in our country. As we honor the brave people who have served, it's important to also hear their stories. And so in this episode, we'll be featuring veterans discussing discussing their life experiences, both professionally and personally. We hope you'll find this insight valuable and inspirational. And of course, thank you to all our veterans listening for your service. So welcome to the show, Christina or Chris, Phil and Jerry, who are going to share their thoughts on everything with us today. Thank you so much for joining us. And let's start with some introductions. So can each of you tell me who you are, what you do, and how you identify? Syl, we're going to start with you. Um, hello, my name is Syl, and thank you so much for creating space uh, for all of us to join and discuss today. Um, I am a Caucasian uh, queer cis woman uh, in Canada. I live in Vancouver, BC. I heavily operate within the entrepreneur and startup world and have for a long time. I retired from the Canadian Navy as a Lieutenant Navy and spent my time in the Navy uh, doing logistics um, and the last couple of years as a human rights and harassment investigator for mm -hmm. the Canadian Armed Forces. And I retired due to an injury. And so mm -hmm. I'm also a disabled veteran as well. Wow. Can you talk to us a little bit about the injury? What was it? Did it happen during your service? It did. It was an on-duty injury. It was a ridiculous injury. It's a very good story. Um, and I fell out of a boat that wasn't in the water while doing maintenance and dry talks. So. <laughs> <laughs> Not all glamorous, but it did uh, It did end my career. Um, well, I'm sorry to hear that it ended your career, and but I'm glad that you shared that with us because I'm sure there's a lot of people who have had injuries like you, maybe not in service, but probably regretted them. I know I did. So I play baseball and I was playing catch before a game and I missed the ball and broke my nose. For somebody who had been playing for like 25, 30 years, that was a pretty, pretty stupid injury. So I'm going to share that just to make you feel a little bit better that you're not alone. I appreciate that. Love it. Love it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Syl. Jerry, you're up next. Tell us who you are, what you do, and how you identify. Hi, thank you for having me. My name is Jerry Robletto Rivas. To make it easier for everyone, Jerry's perfectly fine. Right. Um, it always comes comes up, oh, how do you pronounce your last name? Well, it's a Hispanic <laughs> last name, two names put together. Uh, but uh, I did 20 years in the Marine Corps. I did supply chain in the Marine Corps, so my transition out of the Marine Corps was a little bit easier, um, per se. Still had to get used to the terminology and learning those Marine Corps terminologies into mm the civilian workforce or supply chain terminology. So that was a little bit, uh, and it still is a uh, little bit hard. So mm -hmm. I just go back and forth in my mind. Okay. This is the same thing as this. Mm -hmm. So awesome. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, where, where are you from? Are you, are you in the U S yes, I'm in the U S I'm in Tampa, Florida. Oh, that's okay. nice. It's way better <laughs> weather than here. I got snow on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> well, All right. Go ahead. 
Oh, no. Well, I mean, below 70 down here is freezing for us. So right now <laughs> I am freezing. So it's, well, below actually, 70. it's pretty funny because I have we have cousins that were here from Tampa and they were saying how nice it was, even it, even though it was like minus two degrees. They were like, this is so great. Mm. And somebody I was talking to this morning was like, yeah, it's because you have your AC so high all the time <laughs> that you're used to it being freezing cold. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, totally going off um, topic. Christina, welcome to the show. Why don't you tell us who you are and what you do? Or sorry, Chris. No, that's all right. Well, thank you, Sarah. Yes, I'm Chris Harrington. Um, I go by the pronoun she, her. I'm also a part of the LG, LGBTQ plus community. And uh, today I am uh, president and co-founder of Gen Alpha Technologies. We actually work with original equipment manufacturers and aftermarket organizations, helping them to sell their parts and service their equipment online. So I get the pleasure to work with manufacturers, which is really where I have cut my teeth in most of my career was in manufacturing. So when I left active military duty where I was a machinist mate. So what that wow. means is I worked uh, inside the hull of the ship. I was really wor working in the, the boiler room and on different machinery. You know, it was just cool. Uh, very cool. Taught me the basic mechanics of different machinery. And I think it certainly has helped me in my parts career and my career in manufacturing as I worked with different uh, equipment manufacturers. So um, a lot of fun. So blessed to be here with you guys and look forward to this conversation. And you're in the U.S. as well, right? Yes, I'm in U.S. I'm in Wisconsin, just outside of Milwaukee. Oh, Actually, yeah. I have a small hobby farm. So on the hobby farm here, uh, my wife is Brazilian. So we uh, together, we run this farm where we have 50 chickens. We have eight ducks. We have planted over 60 fruit trees. We do a really large garden uh, in the summertime. Huh. And we basically uh, put our extra food into our farm stand. And it's all on your honor system. People come and pick up the, the food. We We transitioned. We used to have a CSA. But um, when COVID came, we really weren't sure how we, we were going to keep people safe on the farm. So we uh, created a farm stand and now we put all of our produce out there. So it's a lot of fun. I love having my hands in the dirt. So uh, and I have a few pieces of machinery that I, I use around the farm. So I get to have that balance of I'm a customer of manufacturers as well as serving them. So I love yeah. that. And so your farm stand is on the honor system. So you put the food out and then people put whatever amount they want in there well no we have pricing on there okay. uh, on the board and they they put their money in the box got and, it okay know, it's been great that's what happens in wisconsin people <laughs> nicest people in the world <laughs> just like canadians <laughs> yes well we we kind of are i think you know a lot of americans think that canadians are very nice but you know we have our tendency right so we definitely do. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's get started. I'm super excited to have you all here. How did you end up joining um, the military or the Navy? Um, and we'll go around to each one of you because I want to sort of find out your mindset of why you joined and what it actually meant for you to, to go into service. So Jerry, I'm going to start with you. Yeah, thank you. So Joining the military was something brand new to our family. I was I'm the first generation to join the military. 
So I had no insight, no clue other than the screaming, yelling, you know, I need to be up and about, I need to follow directions and so on and so forth. So uh, the majority of the knowledge and, and everything that I knew of the military was due to movies, uh, oh. watching movies <laughs> and like, oh, wow, I want to do that. You know, something inside of me always wanted to do since I was young. Hmm. Um, so I pursue it and did 20 years. I thought I was going to do just four <laughs> and I just eventually became a career and I enjoyed it. So when you joined it, where did, where did you start? And like, how did you even transition into supply chain? Or was that where you started was in the logistics and supply chain for the military? Yeah. So you, everybody, like every Marine will go into boot camp and basic training and, or any branch um, per se. So after that, once you finish your basic training, depending on your your job skill that you're going to enter, uh, they send you to your your job, MOS school. That's how in in the Marine Corps we call it. Others call it A school or other mm-hmm. other branches call it differently. Uh, so then I was identified to go to supply chain, and huh. that's what I've done. I wonder what Lucky. skills you you possessed and and put forth that they were like you, my friend, are yeah. destined for a career in supply chain. Yeah. <laughs> do you know? Well, Did they tell you? A lot of it has to do with your um, ASVAB test that you take prior okay. to joining. So it's it's not randomly picked. It's okay. according to your ability and your test scores that you do. Okay. Awesome. Well, I'm glad that they did. Now, Christina, was your journey somewhat similar or like, why did you, why did you join? What did that look like? How did you get started? Yeah, you know, I joined the military to see the world. Um, That was what I thought. I, you know, I think all of my high schooling, everybody thought I would go on to college uh, and play a sport. I was a student athlete in high school And my, you know, when it came time to decide, I had already been accepted into a school, but I just had decided that I didn't want to go to university. I wanted to make some money and I wanted to see the world. And I went out and found the recruiter in my high school and basically sat down. I had not planned this. I I have a you know, military background in my family. So different than Jerry, you know, many of the men in my family, uh, both grandparents, uh, you know, and uh, many of my my dad and my aunt, my uncles had all been in military. Wow. So I just thought that that might be a way in which I could both make money and see the world. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I was looking for an adventure. I wasn't ready to go necessarily to get an education yet. And I I think I was also kind of rebelling my parents at the time for some reason, you know, they had (laughs) said that I was paying for school and I thought, well, if I'm paying for it, then I'm not going to school. (laughs) And I, you know, it sounds a little crazy now, but that was the way I was thinking back then. So that's really how I found it. And, um, so did how did you end up into um the portion of being in the belly of a boat and did you actually get to travel and see as many places as you had hoped oh well i i so that is the big <laughs> um i guess 
maybe let down is that I always wanted to go out to see. So when I told the recruiter that I was looking for a branch that I could see the world, he said, you should go to the Navy. Well, my ship never sailed uh, on the sea. I was uh, in uh, the U.S. Navy when Bill Clinton was in office. We were decommissioning a lot of ships. So I really never got to go to sea. Um, It was later when I got my education at university. I went to work for manufacturers. And now I feel like I've lived in multiple countries. I have traveled to multiple countries. So I got the opportunity to see the world that never changed inside of me, Uh but just didn't happen. Now I did get to go to Pearl Harbor. I was stationed in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. So, um, you know, I I certainly got to see different places than Wisconsin, but I I didn't really travel the world in the Navy. So Uh, in the machinist mates, I, I think the recruiter was like, we have to fill these positions. <laughs> and he recommended one. I, you know, I think all I had said at the time is that I like to work with my hands. Um, and he probably looked at the list of, I didn't research. I didn't, you know, I'm being very candid here. Yeah. I didn't have any knowledge of really necessarily what I was signing up for. So uh-huh. the recruiter said Navy and he said, machinist made is where you'll get to work with your hands. So I said, okay. Um, and that's how I got in. Okay. So still, I'm going to get you, but I'm very curious about this machinist thing and not going out to sea. So what did you actually do on a daily basis on a decommissioned boat? Well, our, our, my, my ship wasn't decommissioned, but what happened before I, um, arrived in Pearl Harbor is that our ship was out to sea. I was on the USS Cimarron, Cimarron. It's an oiler tanker. And it blew both boilers. So it had to be tugged in back into to land. Mm-hmm. And they drilled a big hole in the side of the ship. And that's the where, where we entered the ship regularly because mm-hmm. we had to take all the old machinery out and rebuild both boilers. So the whole time wow. I was working on the ship, there was no urgency to complete this task because there were no uh, missions at that time. Right. That, so that's, I was on land in Pearl Harbor and we were repairing uh, what had been broken. Wow. Well, yeah. Chris, you didn't miss much of a ship life because <laughs> it's no fun yes. for a Marine. <laughs> it was no fun. Yeah, I, I've met a lot of people, of course, who've said that I didn't miss anything. And it, I come to find out that that's not uncommon when you join the Navy that you wouldn't go to sea. So there are many people huh. in armed services, especially in the Navy, who haven't gone to sea. But I didn't realize that initially. So, Jerry, did you go to sea? I did, yes. Um, I think I did about eight months or 10 months, I think between eight to 10 months on, on ship, on sea. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. We are going to come back no to fun. that, but I do need to get to still still. So talk to us about how you got started. I mean, it's very different for, from you, for you. You're not the only Canadian on this call, but you're the only one that's come from service. Cause I didn't do that. Um, so talk to us about what that looked like and um, how it was, was it any different? It's so interesting to be in the room with uh, U.S. uh, service service members as well, because I think there is uh, quite a bit of difference, but a lot of similarities. And for me, my journey in in my why I joined started in the in the cadet program, which is quite different in Canada than it is in the Mm -hmm. U.S. But for me, inside of that program, and I was an air cadet, uh, found a lot of uh, 
uh, camaraderie and and family and responsibility and belonging. And uh, that program kicks you out on your 19th birthday. And I really wasn't done on that journey and hmm. the the chosen family that I was able to find there. So it was for me a very easy decision to just keep going on that journey and, and see where else I could take it. And so that was really a lot of almost 100% of my my why came from really wanting and craving that that connection that uh, 100% I got, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the longer you spend in there. And I'm sure we can all relate to if you called anybody in the world that that you ever crossed paths with in a uniform and said, hey, I'm in town, I need a place to stay or ride from the airport or things like that, somebody will be there and come pick you up. So mm-hmm. wow. Um, those are the the deepest best relationships that I think I've ever made in life that they carry you through. So amazing. And so, what did you end up doing, and what did that journey look like? Like, how did you end up picking that part of service? Um, I did a lot of different things, and that <laughs> path changed a number of times. Um, you know, as a primarily a reservist, and so I spent a lot of time on. Um, doing PR and media and ended up in the last few years of my career really doing the the human rights harassment training and ethics training and guidance for the program during a time that it was transitioning from being a very negative, aggressive uh, space to be where they were recognizing that maybe that wasn't the greatest time. And there was a lot of transition that was happening during that. There's still a lot of transition and work that needs to be done, but there's certainly a lot of headway that's been made so a lot of what I did was the ethics and human rights training on side of that, uh, working with civilian organizations who were partnered with them. And then uh, unfortunately, on the flip side of that, doing the investigations and um, harassment and abuse and referring charges and things like that as well. Can you talk to us at all about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, it was an interesting period of time, you know, in the early 2000s, where we were really looking at what... Uh, culture used to look like, what used to be acceptable and what isn't now. There mm-hmm. was a lot of cross, um, cross-functional cross abuse that happened from power dynamics and struggles mm-hmm. with that. Um, unfortunately, there was a lot of um, sexual abuse. Uh, the Canadian forces just went through a process with a class action lawsuit that involved um, queer people in the military, uh, women in the military, and it was misconduct, sexual misconduct. And um, other and a large win for people who uh, went through those struggles. Hmm. And so that recently happened and closed out in the last six months. So wow. that's it was extremely necessary. And I think there's a lot of work still that needs to happen in that space. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm I'm grateful for you to be able to bring that to light because, you know, you hear things right? You hear things on the news, you hear things, there's TV shows that, you know, talk about this kind of thing. But in reality, we want to hear from folks like you that, you know, lived it, um, was part of service, especially still, you know, being part of those investigations and making the tough choices, I would assume, um, because, you know, you're, you've got to have a struggle mentally and internally, I'm guessing, when those things come up, because, you know, some people you might know, it's like law enforcement, right? Some of these people might be your friends and you have to make a guided decision, not based on who you know who they are, but what the ev- evidence provides and things like that. And that, that's that got to be on a whole new level, especially as you still going into it, wanting that connection. 
and then having to make some of those hard choices. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, you, you got to bang on there. Um, I think a lot of us in life, um, as we're coming up in, in the work and personal world and, and things like that, we really look at um, when push comes to shove in in a really hard situation, could I and would I be able to do the right thing, regardless of how hard it was? And there was one experience that um, I had that I, I was in a position in this role that that I had to make that decision. And it was really hard. And I'll never forget sitting on the phone with, you know, the, the my upper level mentor who didn't work on the same base and have her say, you know, you know what you need to do. Um, and, but you also know what the aftermath of it, you know, it was a senior ranking officer that I had to kind of stand between them and what they were trying to accomplish. And, um, you know, I will say that while the injury is why I retired, that was certainly taking those steps that was necessary was extremely detrimental to my career. And it's not mm -hmm. something I regret in any way. But um, it mm -hmm. does really call to question how much when you sit down in the aftermath of it, it's like, would I take those steps regardless of, of what that right. part is? And I think a lot of people when they look at like military service really look at, you know, the big glory parts of it and not enough of the just day to day behind the scenes, what is really hard, you know, in, in uniform as, as a woman, as a queer woman, you know, um, things like that in the military, you really have to, there's a, there's a lot that comes yeah. along with that. Thank you for sharing that. Jerry, I want to ask you about your experiences um, as, you know, a Hispanic male in the military. Did that have anything to do with any challenges that maybe you had faced um, during your time in service? Or maybe talk to us about, you know, what uh, your time in service taught you about yourself? Uh, not sure if... Um if it was challenges or anything being Hispanic, uh, for the most part, I believe that the Marine Corps and, I mean, there's still divide divisions, you know, from in services, but for the most part, I, I'm thankful um, that I didn't face any of those challenges in that way. Mm -hmm. I think it was more of uh, the leadership around me and just being blessed not yeah. to experience that or to go through it. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's like having a good boss versus a toxic boss. I mean, it can really happen Correct. kind of anywhere. And, you know, depending on backgrounds, and we've had this conversation on this particular show, and this is why we have these conversations is because everybody's experience is different. You know, I could have two Hispanic males on this episode and that you would have two very different experiences depending on whether it's service or not service in the corporate world, that kind of thing. And that's why we want to talk about these things, because what Syl went through is a different experience than what you went through. And you were very blessed and you're very grateful for being able to or for not having some of those challenges. But we also need to recognize you know, how everybody has gone through these experiences. And that's what the power of these discussions really are about. So I appreciate you for sharing that as well, because it's important for others to hear that part of it too. Christina, what do you think about what Syl said? Did, did, you know, did you have any of these challenges on your side? What did it teach you about yourself? Yeah, no, I appreciate you asking that question. Um, and thanks for sharing everything, Syl, as well. You know, I was part of 
the military when the don't ask, don't tell policy came into effect. So that was from 1993. I just look, quickly looked it up because uh, so made me think about it. So I wanted to make sure I had my uh, facts correct. It, it, it has, it was, uh, it ended in 2011, but you know, that was early. I, I was active military in 1993 when President Clinton was uh, in office, as I mentioned earlier. So um, I believe that that negatively impacted my experience to a certain extent, It only in that I couldn't be my whole self. Wow. Um, and it wasn't just me. It was also other members of the military who were um, active at that time as well. And it was something that we felt we needed to hide or keep from uh, others. And I think it prevented me from thinking about uh, military uh, as a long-term career for me because I didn't want to continue to hide that part, portion of myself. And at that point in time, you didn't know when that would end. So um, yeah, I would just share that. I appreciate you for sharing that because I'm I'm sure that there's other people potentially in uniform currently that could be having those same thoughts right? Sure. Is this long-term for me? Can I do this long-term? Is this something that's short-term? And we only need to really help one person with this conversation. You know what I mean? Yeah. And this is what this is all about. So I appreciate you because I know how difficult some of these conversations can be, especially being yeah. in service. You know, you're taught loyalty, right? Yes. And yes. it's not that we want to talk about it in a negative light, but we do want to be able to um, hear everybody's perspectives and learn from everybody's experiences as to what reality really is for somebody who is a veteran as a whole. Not as you are now, not as you were before, but what has your journey and your story looked like? And so I appreciate you guys for for sharing that. Is there a time when you went above and beyond the call of duty? Now I hear this term all the time, call of duty, because it's also a it's also a what a video game, I think, right? <laughs> um, what does call of duty actually mean? And have you gone over and above in any type of situation? Jerry, I'm gonna start with you because you were on a boat for eight months, and I'm sure that was even going over and above the call of duty. Uh not really. I mean, everybody experiences that quite. I mean, not everybody, because obviously even some of the Navy folks don't get into, um, I guess, the privilege, I guess you could say, to be on on sea life or sea, you know, uh, being in the in the sea for that long. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, it wasn't fun at all to, for me. Um, Tell I us why. It didn't bother me, this, the seasickness or any of the motion. Didn't bother. It's just that mundane that over and over you you know you continue to smell the same thing over and over, day in and day out. And you know, as Marines, we're always at the bottom bottom of the ship, and you know, our sleeping quarters is crammed. Um, our our beds are real, just like a the size of a video uh, cassette tape. If you remember that, you know, it's just sleeping like in a coffin. Wow. Um, so it wasn't fun. I didn't enjoy it. And to this day, I do not want to go on a cruise, on a cruise. or anything <laughs> dealing with. No, nah, I'm okay. I'm, I'll stay on shore. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. Is there another time that maybe you went above and beyond sort of the call of duty? Uh, you know, I, that term is always comes up. 
I like to leave it just to those folks that, you know, obviously pay the ultimate sacrifice. Mm. Um, to me, those are the ones that obviously, and even coming back from being deployed and all that stuff, even other veterans that have, you know, long-term, uh, you know, effects from being mm -hmm. deployed, those are the ones that I, I consider going above and beyond. So I, I like to leave it to that term. Absolutely. Sil. I think it's uh it's so key what Jerry just said is, and I think that's true for a lot of us. I know uh Remembrance Day was recent recently came by and and a number of us sat down and, and we're talking about it and and how awkward the phrase thank you for your service is for any of us that ever like it is the most awkward thing. Let's talk about this. Mm -hmm. it, it's like having it. The, the thing that I would equate it to is on your birthday when like you're sitting there in a room full of people are singing happy birthday and you don't know what to do with yourself or your hands and you're just like <laughs> could you just <laughs> it's weird it's awkward and I think um one of the things I think is always really interesting is where the people in this room you know I I was never deployed overseas. I, I never put myself in what I would deem to be harm's way. Mm -hmm. And there, there's a there's a lot of us, including myself, that will diminish the quality or or, or meaningfulness of our service based yeah. on that. Differentiate my status as a veteran um, against those people because we recognize the importance and the difference of that. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, it's something I'm torn on. I don't have I don't have a, a different answer or an empowerment for any of us because it's something I struggle with. Um, you know, uh, PTSD and post-service trauma is something that affects everybody, a lot of people every day. And for us in Canada, Remembrance Day has really shifted from being about World War One and two veterans to really talking about the aftermath of of the children and the the spouses and the partners and the PTSD and the trauma it comes from service and that's one thing that i think that regardless of where you were whether you were put in harm's way during your service that a lot of us carry with us and do share so that is a ton to unpack and i think if you guys are willing to do that i think this is the episode to talk about that because i think there's a couple of things here one is how do you want to be observed or maybe thanked for your service? If that's that's part of it that makes you cringe, what is it that from my side of things that I can do to value what you gave up, right? Because you did, right? And you gave it up for a lot of people. Um, how do we get through some of those mental conversations that you're having that I'm not good enough because I wasn't deployed or I didn't put myself in harm's way did I really do service? Did I really do that thing? And you really did do that thing. And so it'd be interesting to find out from each one of you how you actually think about that and how you um, how you tell yourself that, yeah, you know, I did do enough, even though I wasn't put in, in, in harm's way. And then let's talk about post-service trauma. Whether you were deployed or not, you're saying that you have it. So what does that look like? So again, you know, a lot of things to unpack. I don't know which one you want to start at, but maybe Christina, do you want to, um, you know, just ca um, talk about some of what Sills brought up? Yeah, I mean, I think that 
the easy thing for me to say, uh, which is true, is that I share the words that both Jerry and Syl uh, shared, is that if, if you didn't go into combat or you weren't deployed, um, sometimes it, it just feels disingenuine to have somebody say thank you for your service when you know that your service was very different than the experience of others. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know personally for many years, I really just didn't talk about being a veteran because I didn't think that I was a veteran. I thought it was reserved for people who had gone into combat. So I didn't think about my schooling or my training or my time served as something special because I wasn't called uh, to to a different level of duty, if, if you will. Um, so yeah, I, I think for all of us who were in, and certainly I can't speak for everybody, I speak for myself, it's such a special moment, uh, time for you, the relationships that you build, these are incredible. The things you get to learn, you know, it's a very different situation because we're kind of under contract for a period of time. So we know we're, we've signed up to do a job. Uh, We feel incredibly responsible for this job because there is a mission behind it. Um, You know, in the U.S., the U.S. is looking to you that if you were needed to be called upon, you would be there. That's what you're signing up for. That's why you learn the skills. Uh, That's why you understand your job and, and understand how to follow direction and take leadership from others so that if you're called and when you're called, you, you're ready, right? Mm-hmm. And I think we all carry that burden while we're there that that's, that's what we have and we, we feel very incredibly proud to do it. But if, if you don't get called up to do it, you just have a different, a very different experience, I guess, than uh, those that do. Um, so those are the words that are coming to mind as I I talk about this, but I will say for, you know, I've been, I'm 48 years old. I entered the military when I was 18. I was young. I I would say I really didn't necessarily know all that I was going to uh, encounter and all that I was going to enjoy, or even all the benefits I was going to get out of it in life afterwards. But um, it, you know, I just, did, I just recently started uh, because others have prompted me, you were in the Navy. Yeah. Uh, you never said that before. Yeah. I just didn't, uh, think that that was what I led with, um, ever. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Those are, again, those are the words coming to mind. Thank you for that. And I'll tell you when I was putting this episode together, I had to ask people, Like I had to ask, you know, are you a veteran or go through a LinkedIn profile to see if it said veteran on there? Mm -hmm. Because nobody's really shouting it from the rooftops. And I feel like you should. But I also don't want to put don't want to make you feel awkward by saying thank you for your service. So I do want to (laughs) say I do want to ask the question, how do we honor you without making you feel awkward? And what does that look like? And I guess maybe that could be part of the reason why you're not putting veteran there is because there's a whole bunch of drama and mental mental stuff that comes along with it when people, you know, acknowledge it, right? Jerry, do you want to jump in here? Uh, 
So I, I think one of the reasons why I personally don't like to say, oh, thank you for your service is because it's something that I chose to do. Um, it's something that how Chris said, you know, we signed up, we had a contract in and we knew that we needed to do it. And it's just like any other person could do the same thing. Uh, but I chose to do it. And that's why I don't, it just feels awkward to receive that. Oh, thank you for your service. Um, that was one of the reasons. You know, I was deployed in Iraq, and, and even when being deployed over there, and like again, I did supply chain for uh, the Marine Corps. So when I was out there, it was more of supporting the those that are in the front lines and the combat element side. And so my role was to support them in any way for their equipment, for you know whatever it may be that we have to use for supply chain upgrading or you know ensuring all oh, one vehicle went down have all these parts available for them um they need to change their uniforms because it was ripped so on and so forth uh, so i guess my piece over there when i was struck i was a young marine at the time so i was like am i really actually making a difference so my supervisor told me hey you know if we're not here as supply to support them you know how could they continue on the battle? How could they continue on the fight? So I guess that was my little um, battle or fight that I was like, okay, am I really doing something? Am I really making a contribution to um, this deployment or the quote unquote war or the battle? But, you know, I guess it's something that everybody has to, that goes through that, that are not in that combat element um, situation or in the frontline situation. Hmm. That's very interesting. And I'm glad that he said that because we all know as supply chain professionals that every person in the chain counts. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, if you don't have all these people doing what they need to be doing, we don't get things done. That's right. And it's kind of the same with, with what, what you guys did for, for service. Right. Yeah, and to carry a little bit more, I mean, we were out there in whatever base that you're in, you forward deployed, you forward everywhere. So everywhere around you is still pretty much their territory. Yeah. So you kind of still get those um mortars coming in. You still have to, you know, but to be in the front front lines, like going into house to house, going to from block to block. You know, mm -hmm. and in doing firefights, those are the things that you know I didn't see. Mm -hmm. um, so, am I grateful for it? Am I thankful for it? not seeing that? I couldn't tell you. I mean, I, I didn't experience it. Did yeah. I want it to or not? I couldn't tell you because that was not my job uh, at that moment, at that time. Mm -hmm. Or so, I just did what I was supposed to do at that very mm -hmm. moment in my time. And without you, they wouldn't have been able to do it. And you were in dangerous territory. I mean, you put yourself in danger regardless of whether you were on those front lines or not. Sil, I think you want to jump in here. So you asked us what what you can do. And yes. I, what I, can I, we do? Uh, I, I have three, three things. Uh, number one, you're doing it right now. You're creating Yay. space to have these conversations. And to say these things out loud and to tell 
more people that, you know, there's veterans that are making meaningful, huge contributions uh, to the business and, and community. Um, and to that end, there's two other things that I think are really important. The first is uh, hire veterans. Remove the barriers to your hiring processes, your HR. Take away, like give them their entire own hiring path. Take away the need for a degree and all those other things mm. and just have conversations with them. They will bring things to your organization that nobody else will. They mm. will bring a dedication uh, and uh, a way of thinking and a, I don't care what it takes, I'm just going to figure out and get it done that uh, new graduates and, and expensive vacation or uh, degrees will, won't. And I'm not, you know, degrading that the, the folks with a degree, but, uh, you know, veterans deserve their own path inside of that. And it's, it's a meaningful way that all businesses can con contribute mm -hmm. uh, to the lives of, of veterans and remove those barriers. And then I would say the third thing is that if you're a business that does something, provide, uh, you know, an advantage to a veteran. I know when my business partner, Cindy Christensen, and I started uh, Community Customs Brokers, the first thing we did was figure out what flags we were flying and reach out to those communities. So we made a huge list of every veteran-owned business that we could find, and we walked in their door, and they, we said, us too, so we're here for you, and we gave them preferential rates and hire, you know, how do we support wow. you in business? And I will never forget one of our favorite customers there. He was this little uh, this little business out of his basement in New Brunswick. And he made like beard oil. And he had, <laughs> he had, he had no idea how to do supply chain for mm -hmm. his business. He's like, I don't know how to order these things. I don't know how to get these in. And he was he was ordering pallets without a like lift gate to like get delivered to his 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 like front door. Mm -hmm. Um and by the time we sold our business to Flexport, he had just signed on to be a global contractor with Canex to have his beard nice. supplies in every Canex globally. And nice. he he said in that process that we were a huge part in that. And it was just because we gave him the time and the space as a veteran-owned business that he needed to just have support to make that transition. Awesome. You give me goosebumps every time I do this show. I get goosebumps at a couple of points during this. But I think, you know, I think those are all really good ideas. They're things that, you know, people may or may not think about. And instead of just saying thank you for your service, let's put those words into action and really get behind veterans and see what it is that we can do to support. And I think your first comment um, it's not just for civilians like me, but you're also speaking to those who are in uniform right now, right? Who, oh, yeah. who may not recognize that they're doing enough or might be frustrated that they're in a position that they don't feel like they're doing enough or things like that and understanding the importance of what they do on a regular basis. So I appreciate you for, for sharing that and giving us some action items on, on what everybody really could do. Now let's talk about um, transition from service into civilian life. Um, because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that um, are listening who are civilians like myself who want to support. Um, but also there could be some veterans that are having a tough time or possibly coming up to maybe that transition. So what advice would, would you give to a recently discharged veteran? Uh, Chris. 
Yeah, I, you know, I would first tell a veteran that have confidence in yourself. You've been trained uh, and you have the skills. Um, I think for whatever reason uh, in this country, there's still a perception that, uh, you know, U.S. military service or any military service isn't equal to a college education. And we've touched on parts of this. So there isn't a full mindset change yet. But we as veterans have to leave the military with confidence that we do have skills. Um, so have that confidence. Um, when you're describing the attributes on your resume, um, there are so many uh, wonderful skills that we've learned other than our job role. So I think, you know, I had a mental block again. I was young when I got out of the military. I was like machinist mate. Nobody's hiring a machinist mate, but that's how I knew to describe myself, right? And mm -hmm. I didn't want to go work on ships. That wasn't what I wanted to do. But we have these other skills of discipline, the ability to learn quickly, the ability um, we're great under crisis, right? When things are in crisis mode, many of us veterans, we run to it. We don't avoid it. That's what we, we were trained to be there and to solve mm -hmm. problems as problems come up. So we have to find the words to describe the skills that we've learned in the military in a way that connect with people who are hiring. So I think that's a big part of uh, the transition. You know, I would say to work with somebody, you know, if you're young, like I was young and, and didn't know these things, my advice would be work with somebody who can help you pull these attributes out and help you write a good resume so that you're not stuck feeling, thinking so much about that job or that very specific training you got. But uh, work with somebody who can show you what what are the needs in the mm -hmm. world. Um, and, you know, my advice to employers would be to, and similar to what Syl had said, is that we have to find a way to attract and recruit veterans mm -hmm. and then hire them for the roles. You know, we need to make sure that we're we're saying we're a company that wants veterans to come work for you so that veterans yeah. will apply, right? And it's up to, you know, I think, you know, we're in a war for talent, right? In the world of workplace, I again, I work with a lot of manufacturers. I myself have worked in manufacturing and veterans are perfect for so many different roles inside of a manufacturing, whether it's the shop floor where I started after I got out of uh, the military. You know, today I'm a president and a co-founder of a company uh, doing entrepreneurial work, uh, serving the, the manufacturers that I used to work with, you know, so. Um, I there are just these uh, the career paths that people can go on, but you need the confidence. And if you can hook up with somebody that will give you a little guidance, um, that's really important, too. But it's on us as employers today that we indicate that we want these people. Uh, mm -hmm. We want this talent in our organization. So uh, I guess that would be two messages there. No, I think that's great. Transferable skills are something that we don't talk enough about. Um, I've also been talking about uh, transferable skills to moms entering the the workplace again, because there's transferable skills that you you get when you're, you know, 
taking care of children and taking care of the house and all sorts of things. And we forget that a lot of these things that we've been learning over time is something that can be transferred, especially into a career in supply chain. I mean, think about it. Supply chain yes. is all problem solving. That's yes. all, all you guys, like that's what service is all about. You're problem solving all the time. I yes. think the other thing that I want to just mention here too is community. So as much as we've talked about how you don't want to put the word veteran out there, I think for other veterans to be able to find you and be inspired by you and gain that confidence that you're talking about, they need to know you're out there. We're listening and we're nodding our heads. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to throw this out there because like... This is amazing. And you guys just from this conversation can help so many people. And I think just by, you know, letting people know that you're out there, somebody could reach out and you could help somebody just saying, anyways, Jerry, <laughs> what do you think? What's, what was your transition? Like walk us through that journey. So, I mean, I definitely do echo what Chris said, mentioned, you know, have confidence. And that's one of the biggest thing I think that we, um, veterans don't um, like to talk about uh, what we've done and you know or our background like oh look at me patting the shoulders or so uh, but I definitely echo that part and then also is my transition was kind of a little um, not weird or anything just normal but the normal part is not what should be in a sense that I didn't you know I just got out maybe two and a half years now, so I'm still fairly new in the workforce. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that I learned as soon as day one is that you need I needed to plan a little bit more or not plan because I was planning everything out. Just learn and expand like how you touched. Gain network. Gain wow. some type of network uh, to form, to be part of. So that way it will help you in the long run. People will guide you. And like you mentioned, you know, there are veterans out there that have a, a massive network that will definitely bring you on board and show you the ropes, guide you, help you with, you know, your resume building or give you programs, show you programs that are available for mm -hmm. free for us um, and help you with that transition, not only for yourself, if you're, you know, if you have a family, but also to your spouse, to your family as well, mm -hmm. doing that transition. So it's, it's something that I didn't have be, because I didn't know. And that's why I met when it's, it was normal, but it shouldn't be normal because the, what I've learned, the Marine Corps continues. As soon as I, my last day, the Marine Corps just moved on and continue on with their mission. And, and it's nothing bad or negative. It's just reality. Mm -hmm. That now you're no longer part as an active duty, that now you are back into the civilian life or back into the world, um, that it's on you now uh, to find, to figure it out. And that's what I would say is start early, plan early, understand that, yes, you still want to be committed to your service until the very last day, but you need time. You need that uh, planning uh, reaching out to folks, understanding who could help you out and building that network that is very valuable once you 
uh, transition over or transition out of the military. What's um what's important for your friends and your family to know about transition and how best to support you? Uh, I think it's more of the military itself, the unit, because your family and your friends that your immediate friends, I, I you know, yeah. I want to clarify that because there's two different types, you know, your friends that you left back right. however long it was, or your immediate friends that you develop in the service, in the military. So your family understands it. And they're the ones sometimes pushing you, hey, you need to uh, think about tomorrow, not right now, mm-hmm. about what you still got to do in your work and so on and so forth. You need a plan. So they're supportive. Um, even your immediate friends that are still in the military and they're, they know that you're getting out, they're like, hey, they nudge you. But I think it's more that uh, self-awareness that you need wow. to be like, hey, Time to step back, time to step away and plan it out, you know, and and don't feel guilty. I think that's the biggest thing that was for me. Don't feel guilty that you're stepping back Mm. and you kind of are uh, leaving it to someone else now, Uh, even though you still, you know that your time is coming, that your time is about to transition now. You plan that because it just doesn't happen unless you get injured, unless something negative or something it don't ha- it doesn't it just doesn't happen hey i'm out tomorrow right <laughs> so plan um and don't feel guilty about that transition don't feel guilty about that planning phase that you yeah. have to take on your own well and i think um there's probably losing a sense of self and purpose too like you're Definitely. you're so involved in something and so involved entrenched really in a purpose and a mission that a whole bunch of people come together to do. And then all of a sudden you're on your own. I mean, that in itself from a mental capacity has got to be really difficult. Sil. I would say loop back to, you know, the civilian friends and family is to um, number one, lean into your networks. You must know folks who do resume writing. Um, The last thing a transitioning service member is going to do is to stand in a room and be like, I have no idea what I'm doing and I need help. (laughs) So to step forward and, you know, help them lean into that through your resources, introduce them to your network, bring them to a networking event um, and, and provide that support while they're developing a comfort within it. There's a lot of like, you know, corporate lingo is just as bad as military lingo and acronyms (laughs) and all that stuff. It's learning a completely different language and having somebody, you know, join you on that journey and support you along the way because you you, you don't know that language yet um, mm-hmm. is, is really important. So find a veteran, befriend them and offer them some support. Absolutely. And I think also LinkedIn training. Like LinkedIn can be a really good way because I I would I would imagine, like you said, going into a room and having to do networking when you're like, I really don't have a job and I'm not entirely sure what I'm going to do and I'm not entirely sure who I am. <laughs> you know what I mean? Outside of the military or outside of service or whatever could be extremely daunting, but at least on LinkedIn you're behind a screen and you could start connecting with people and, you know, talking to people and engaging with people. And that could potentially be maybe an easier transition. I don't know. Just the civilian over here talking. I've never been through it. You three have all been through it, but maybe something like that where, you know, you teach them how to use LinkedIn because I don't think you really learn that 
Um, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, um, but a way to be able to use the internet to slowly start that, that build, building that confidence, maybe. I think it's a great suggestion, Sarah. I mean, LinkedIn wasn't around when I did it, but of course it's a tool today. And I, I think such a great suggestion. Sometimes we don't even think about what's right there in front of us, but um, utilizing those tools can be a great advantage for them. So, so one question I have, because we did talk about how corporations can be more veteran friendly um, by letting veterans know that they, you know, they're will they're welcome to apply, but also changing some of that criteria as to um, so people can apply um, as well. But what can we do once we have veterans working for us to make it a more inclusive workplace? Now, Jerry, you've just transitioned, and you have you've gone from supply chain into supply chain. Um, so that seems like a, a pretty good transition for you, but is there anything in particular that you would want from an employer that would, what would have made it easier for you? And then I'll come to Chris and Syl. I don't think it was anything that I would need from the employer. Uh, just see the, I guess, supply chain is not different from corporate supply chain. Um, it's just different in the aspect of systems, processes, and understand that even though it was the military, everything translates to uh, corporate experience or corporate world. And the only things that stands between us is mm -hmm. those systems, those processes, that lingo. Hmm. We may call it this way, you know, like seasonal, um, seasonal, um, geez, I'm drawing a blank here. Uh, okay. a, a seasonal, um, like products, like products Halloween products. Good. Yeah. yeah. Your, your seasonal, your seasonal chain, your seasonal effect, you know, that's for us is a deployment. Is it, It's really a deployment oh, time. Gotcha. So that's when you like, okay, now I got it. Okay. In a couple of months or next, it happens every year. Every year or every time this period, mm -hmm. we have to ramp up. We have to make sure that we have all the equipment ready. Hmm. We have to order. We have to pre-order everything in advance. We have to order the stuff that we may think. You have to develop your demand uh, plan, your SOIOPs. You have to go through them. I mean, we don't call them SOIOPs, mm -hmm. but and we still do it. We do that demand plan. We still do that supply plan, and we match it up against and we order it, we create it, we bag it, and we ship it with us forward. Um, so, you know, it, that's the only thing that I guess in supply chain um, holds us between us and in corporate world. It's just the lingo, and it's just the processes are different. Yeah, Maybe. I think it's I think it's patience and I think it's um listening to understand because essentially it sounds like for the most part you'll be talking about the same things but in very different languages and trying to put it into context for each other. So I think there has to be a little bit of grace on both sides as well is what what I'm hearing from you. Still so, wh what do you think? Um a well-funded uh, ERG for veterans and time to do that. What is There's that? A, uh, an employee resource group. Thank so, you. you know, Slack dedicated closed Slack channels. Huh. Uh, 
funding and support for that time uh, as part of your workday for those meetings. And I think this is true for every type of, you know, whether it's a parent's ERG, a queer mm -hmm. ERG, you know, things like that. All of these are really important. It's important that they receive funding and actual support from leadership. So those, those things are recognized as an essential part of the business. Specifically for veterans, uh, when there's that much newness and you're surrounded outside of your comfort zone in all those different ways, it is really nice to have a space with people who speak a language that is a native mm -hmm. language to you that you can just sit there and be like, oh, and and throw you know some memes and and some some fun things that are just mm. internal um, inside jokes that feel good in that in that space. So I would encourage all organizations to make sure they have the right uh, places in place for people and all people in your organization to have uh, some yeah. room to breathe. Yeah, I like that safe spaces. And you know, it's not that everybody's not speaking English. Right. It's not like we're talking about English to Spanish, but we're all talking English. We're just talking two different languages when it comes to um, the actual words that we're using to describe something. And you're right. If somebody can take a moment and just take a breath and send out a meme that nobody else is going to understand. <laughs> But those people and you get some like laughing emojis and you get some dialogue happening and, you know, you can say that word that nobody else understands or maybe even ask a question and you feel safe to ask that question with that group of people. It makes all the difference. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Chris, do you have anything to add here? Yeah, I, I mean, those are really creative and great ideas <laughs> from Jerry and Syl. Um, I would just say that, you know, make sure that you lead with a great mission. Uh, you know, that's big part of what veterans do is they're following a mission, right? And uh, this is true for everybody. This isn't just true for veterans, but great leaders have great missions for the companies that they set out. Don't let it be something that you say once a year or you publish on your website, but you don't live and there's no purpose behind the company that you, you know, you have doing work in the world. Um, be active about that. Share with veterans you're hiring what your mission and purpose is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, hopefully you bring them into some training program. Again, I go back to my young self. You know, I wasn't 20 years in like Jerry. So my experience was very different. I was very young. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, don't ask me to ask somebody to be my mentor. When I come in as right. a veteran, mentor me, give me a mentor, give me a training program, put me on a path, show me places I can go. That's what I'm used to. I will be a, a tremendously loyal. I'm a fast learner. So these are all going to be things that I can do well and excel at and end up being a great employee for you. So, I mean, th that would be some of the, the additional things I would add. Mm -hmm. And I would only assume because you've been selfless and working towards something, and then all of a sudden you have to think about yourself, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Transitioning into civilian life, how even that portion of it can be a little disjointing, especially like you said, however many years you've been in service. 
But I think that if you can deal with that and then also maybe find out what your personal mission Mm -hmm. could be or could look like as well. I think, yes, yes, you do need to align corporately, but I think it's also very important for us as individuals, especially when you come out of service. I'm just a civilian talking, not sure, throwing it out there, but maybe important for us as individuals and people coming out of it to have our own personal mission and something to strive for, live for, work for, you know, whatever that needs to be. And it can change over time. It doesn't have to be set in stone. Like it could be your family, right? Making sure your family is taken care of and safe and all that kind of stuff. Um, But working towards something, I would, I would assume would be something really important. Yes. Meaning and purpose. Um, I think that's great advice for anybody, civilians, veterans, you know, um, when we have a direction that we're heading and that can change. it's good for everyone. It, it it helps with your own personal joy. It gives you satisfaction and gives you, uh, you know, your own personal meaning to be working towards something. So mm-hmm. agree with all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just going to add, I mean, I completely uh, agree with Chris stating that, you know, the mission and your mission statement and your core values, because to a veteran, those things resonate heavily to them and guides them on their day-to-day operations, on what they're doing. Okay, what is the CEO's or what is the company or or the organization's vision? And that tailors and guides them Mm. to what, how they should continue to um, either run the department or support the department and eventually obviously supporting the organization. Because those big, you know, those two factors or those two areas do resonate resonate with veterans and gives them some type of uh, guidance where to go to. Yeah, so, so important. So is there something um, your fellow veterans have shared with you that has surprised you? Maybe somebody outside of this discussion that you've spoken to that um, has been in the transition or maybe transitioned a long time ago that you've spoken to that maybe has given you some advice or maybe it's from today's discussion. Still, I'm going to start with you. I am always surprised by how immensely uh talented and capable and and qualified folks are you know you look at chris and the first what one of the things that you said was i have no idea how to translate how you know being a machinist works into the corporate world and i'm always just a little bit in awe of veterans who who don't um who don't understand how to see that value and translate it into an outside of service place. And um, I, w- I, w- I wish more more veterans would realize how, how amazing uh, that background and service is. And um, yeah, I think that's great. That's Thank you for sharing that. Chris. Yeah, I, I, you know, I can't recall a specific story of anything, but even just you know, interacting with Syl and Jerry here today. Um, and and of course, you have asked some really, really good questions and gone deeper. So I think it's allowed us to open up about things that we just don't typically get to talk about. But just the 
the selflessness of veterans. I mean, that is a continues to be so inspiring. Um, and I, I don't, again, I have so often not even considered myself a veteran. I forget it sometimes because I'm just thinking about those people that have given that ultimate sacrifice or have uh, gone into combat, but there's just, um, these are such good people, good people to know, people that you want to be surrounded by. Uh, and this is just a reminder of that for me here today. I love that. You guys are going to be like best friends forever. Just saying. <laughs> this is Probably. what happens on Blended. Not going to lie. We turn off the recording and everyone's like, can I connect with you? Okay, we're going to connect. <laughs> but I think that that's really important too, is that, you know, understanding your value as a veteran and understanding the value of putting it out there that you are a veteran, right? And bringing community together around it, either for you three on this this uh, episode or for those just coming out and transitioning and not even sure what they're going to do, knowing that that uh, you're out there. Gary, what, what has surprised you um, uh, from your fellow veterans, either today or just in general? Uh, yeah, it's not surprised me, but just more impressed me of how veterans in, in every um, organization in, you know, either Air Force through the Marine Corps and so on, is how they continue to give back to the community, to the veteran community. Mm -hmm. Like I said earlier, you know, uh, find a network and then those veterans will help you and guide you. Hey, there's a program here. This is a program there. And, and, they, and we continue. Honestly, we continue to help each other to um, support one another in their efforts to become um, successful after military life. You know, mm -hmm. uh, there's many stories as well that some veterans do end up homeless, do end up, mm -hmm. you know, taking their lives because they weren't able to transition uh, properly or correctly or uh, have a meaningful life after the military because it does happen um like you mentioned earlier we are in, in, embedded with what we do day to day and now all of a sudden those attributes or those qualities and the things that you have gained over whatever amount of period that you served are is taking in a sense that you earned them but they're not being used anymore mm-hmm um, so it, it is hard for some veterans and, and the community out there. It's supportive, very supportive. So it doesn't surprise me, but it just continues to impress me on how we continue to, to help each other um, guide us through the next uh, part of our lives. Absolutely. And and all three of you are making a difference with this episode and just by sharing it and sharing it with your community and, and letting everybody know that you you did this episode later on once it comes out as well, you know, um, is another way to really help somebody who might not be able to even reach out at this point, but needs to hear some of the things that we're talking about today. And that's why that's why we bring all of you together on this this show. So one last thing, if you could use one word to sum up today's discussion or maybe leave the audience with something to think about, put into action, anything, what would that one word be? Sil, you look ready to go. So I'm going to pick on you first. Support. Okay. 
I like that word. That's a very good word. And Jerry just talked about how supportive the community is. So thank you, Chris. Higher. Higher. Yes. Let's, let's be more flexible. Let's get people to hire more veterans. And Jerry, last but not least. Start early in your transition. Start early. Yes. And plan. I think plan is that word too, right? Love those words. Well, thank you so much to Chris, Sill, and Jerry for joining me today. It's been a real pleasure to do this one. Like I said, I love having veterans on each and every year. So thank you so much for sharing your stories. And for those of you who are listening, who have served, feel free to share your experiences over on our socials. We'd love to hear from you and you can find us mostly on LinkedIn. You might be hesitant to share your story. I get it. But we need to keep having these conversations and pushing for change so that everyone can feel like they have a place. Don't forget that you can reach out to any of the guests or myself, and you can find us all on the show notes page. And make sure to tune in next time when we discuss more thought-provoking issues around diversity, inclusion, and equality. You don't want to miss it, and I'll see you then. Thank you so much to everybody for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you.